0: network if a coyote crosses the border and no one is there to see it does it make drop you know there are those in washington who will tell you no and as planes land all over the country loaded with illegals who dares to call out the truth i'll tell you who dan newman on tnn the truth news network and with today's lesson here's dan teachers here
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday. Dog days of summer, boy, they're about over. And I don't know where you are, but in the south everywhere, we've got water. It is raining and flooding, and we've been scorched all summer long. So, you know, first part of this was really good. Second part, not so much. But we're going to be good because we're southerners, and southerners are tough. Louisiana Southerners especially, I promised you we had a special guest that was going to be here today, and he is actually in studio looking across the console at me, a fellow Shreve Porter, and uh, you hear him pretty regularly here at TNN Live, Steve Baker. Good morning, sir, and welcome. Welcome to the Hacienda. Uh, yeah. Welcome to Shrevesville. <laughs> it's good to be back. It's actually good to be sitting right here. We're glad to have you. I get so many comments and questions about the things that you bring to us. And we really appreciate you contributing and being a part of what this is about. people, a lot of people don't understand what we do and the fact that there are people scattered all over the world, just like us, that are inquisitive. And we ask questions. And just because we get an answer... Doesn't necessarily mean we stop asking the same question and finding out
2: what the real truths are. You're a truth seeker, and I thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes just asking the questions is not enough. Too. We have to. We have to go turn over rocks and look because that that first answer you get just brings up five more questions. So it keeps us busy. One thing
1: that we both have learned a long time ago is be careful. Be careful what you just automatically believe that the government tells us.
2: Yeah, well, I I mean, I think I may have even said this to you before. I have a new axiom, and, and this really started on January 6th last year. Yeah. I my, my life axiom has changed a little bit or been modified or added to, and, and it simply goes like this. I will never, ever again believe what I don't see with my own eyes, but then... Consult the videotape <laughs> because your own eyes lie to you as well. Yeah, you can't take it all in. January sixth, you um,
1: you videoed everything that you saw happening in yeah. January
2: sixth. How much? How much time? How much footage did you get? Uh, I, you know, I I did about probably. Off and on, about an hour down at the rally site itself. Yeah, A- and I was not near the stage. By the time we got there at 9:30 in the morning, there the the ellipse itself was inaccessible. The 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 crush of humanity in the ellipse. So we were out on the Washington Monument lawn. Right. Which of course is where the mass sea of humanity is. So more than anything, I was just documenting this this. It's a crowd. I've never. I personally have never been in a crowd that size. I've never attended like an inaugural event in D.C. or any any type of event like that where you have hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, you know, been in a football stadium with eighty thousand people, but that's that's about the biggest crowd I've ever been a part of. So about an hour there, and then um, I got about an hour on that west side battle line where it really first. Uh, was happening that day and of course by then the the live streams were happening on TV and, and people were seeing it on CNN and Fox and elsewhere and then I got uh, another 45 minutes inside the building, inside the Capitol and then uh, a, a little bit more outside before, before I started actually doing interviews With news services, and then after that, I came back when the the National Guard, both the Army and the Air Force National Guard, as well as many other agencies, were coming in to uh, clear the Capitol and push everybody out to the you know to the perimeters, and uh, so I captured that as well. The actual the march. I mean, it was very it was very much a militarist militaristic action as they had their big shields and they were. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know, they would take three or four steps and just shoving the crowds out. There was no resistance at that time, but that's what they were they were executing that plan. So I got that, and then, uh, well, after the curfew had been (laughs) declared, I finally had to walk about a mile and a half away outside of the zone where I could get an Uber and get back to my hotel in in Arlington.
1: I haven't asked you this. I'm gonna when you were talking, uh, you said you got video from the inside. Yeah. How did you get into the inside
2: of the Capitol? Well, it was about, uh, uh the, the, the initial breach in of the Capitol building. It was on the, uh, uh, the West side on the Congress, on the Senate side of the building, which I guess is the Northwest side. And what, ended up happening we've all seen the the videos some guys had a uh, one guy had a shield and he was busting the window out on that side of the building another guy had a two by four uh where he got that that's a whole nother story that's actually a real story and uh and he he smashed it through the window and then from the uh closed circuit capital cameras inside you could see that they once they got that window out there was about a half a dozen guys that leapt through that leapt through that window yeah came in and opened the door from the inside right next to it and there were four or five officers right inside there and they just took off running they just scattered away like uh scared little kittens and the um the, once that door was open just dozens and dozens of people started flowing through that was about two ten in that afternoon and then by uh I would say anywhere from five to 10 minutes after that, there was a complete and total stand down of law enforcement. And it was an obvious stand down. They were just, I have it on my own video. Uh, many, many other people captured it. where the, the officers were just standing off to the side. Many of them were just texting on their phones or chatting or, or just, they were just having discussions in small groups with, with one another. And so at that moment... There was just a sea of humanity just starting to walk inside that that west side door. So you did
1: not go through the busted window. You waited and went through the door. No. In
2: in fact, by the time I got there, there were so many people there, I didn't even notice that there was a busted window. Yeah. Uh, So there was just a door open with a line of officers standing off to the right doing nothing. So it was apparently a, a... Not an invitation to come in, but there was no resistance. And certainly nobody saying, hey, you can't go in there.
1: I want to fast forward. You've given us so many many details, I mean, exhaustive details. And that particular segment of your TNN Live appearances has been downloaded I don't know how many times from our site. Hmm. So people got that. Yeah. Let's fast forward to where you are today because as you told us, um you were notified your attorney was notified by the fbi that you were in the bullseye and that you should expect to be indicted now this was months ago yeah what's the latest on that
2: yeah that was uh back in november in fact it was the week before thanksgiving of last year that uh, my attorney was notified by the assistant u.s attorney up in uh, the uh, philadelphia district that was handling my case and said that uh, your client will be uh, indicted or charged within the week. That's the exact quote, within the week. And that was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving week. We went, um, I guess the best way to say it is we took a full frontal at that point and went after them. By doing, uh, we sent out hundreds of press releases about the absurdity of what they were going to charge me with. They were going to charge me with um, interstate racketeering. Now explain that. I mean, I get it, but you explained it to me a
1: long time ago. That sounds pretty sinister.
2: Well, it's it's actually part of the RICO statutes. I read the statute when she sent when the U.S. Attor- assistant U.S. attorney sent that to my uh, my attorney. And she included the actual statutes under which I'd be charged. Yeah. And I'm reading this, Dan, and it's it's hard not to laugh at it because of the absurdity of the charge, but also it's hard not to have a big old knot in your gut because this is a felony. Yeah. And and the charge basically says or implies that I knew in advance because in order for it to be racketeering there has to be collusion there has to be planning there has to be uh, uh, I, I'm working with people on the inside of the operation all yeah. of those things and I've I've never once had a com- so much as a conversation with a, an oath keeper a proud boy a militia group member a three percenter or anything so all of the all of the characters who have been uh, Besmirched or whatever, either rightfully so or not, throughout this entire process. I've never had any contact with any of them. So they basically said that because I knew, quote unquote, knew that this an illegal event was going to happen, and I crossed state lines from North Carolina into Virginia into D.C. to profit from the event. So I knew in advance it would we be an illegal event, and I planned to profit from it from the licensing of my videos. Well, Dan, you and I both know there were a hundred other journalists there that day that sold their stories. Yeah. It's just part of what happens in journalism.
1: Sure. And so, um, I was in November last year. Give us an update on the status of that. What have
2: they told you? Well, the, um, the full, uh, you know reaction that we took to it which was a press initiative we got you know a press offensive must have worked because within about 4 hours of that uh press release going out the US attorney actually sent a copy of the press release to my attorney she had already gotten it from the FBI cuz they're monitoring everything that I do at sure that point. And she basically said, we're not happy about this. And he replied to her and said, what do you mean you're not happy? Are you saying that my client should forego his first amendment, right? Because he's being threatened by the federal government. Yeah. And she said, oh, no, no, no. We're not saying that. Yeah. What were, she And then she actually had the temerity to say this. She said... Um, what I'm most concerned about is that a, a judge may not look favorably upon the action that your client has taken as if she cares what a federal judge cares, you yeah, know, thinks yeah. about me. Uh, so uh, we took a step back. Uh, we didn't stop what we were doing. I mean, we were doing, we were scheduling interviews like crazy at this point. Yeah. Uh, one of the other uh, interesting connections that was made through this entire process who also contacted me was senator ron johnson from wisconsin Uh, i got a call from from an aide who said this is the senator's personal cell phone number he's expecting your call now and that was the night before thanksgiving
1: (laughs) people that don't know ron johnson has launched and has performed an amazing deep dive into everything that happened in january 6th and all of the bad players in it yeah and so I wouldn't, if I was you, I wouldn't have been surprised based upon the exposure publicly that you had being there and your videos, uh, news media outlets all around the world have played your videos that you took that mm-hmm. day.
2: So you kind of put yourself
1: in the epicenter of the bullseye.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's been, um, I, I, I have to, I have to step back and, and assume that, First of all, the press offensive we did was effective. The second thing I think that was effective, and that's why I brought up the senator, was not to name drop. But it was fantastic that only days after the threat, I was able to include in my own stories that I spoke to Senator Johnson last sure. night. Because uh, I, even a, a, an assistant U.S. attorney has to take a step back from that.
1: <laughs> you know, uh that's somebody that has the ability to make their lives miserable uncomfortable somebody right. like senator johnson so nothing has happened that's still hanging over your head out there almost a year later
2: yeah it's uh been what 10 months now or almost 11 months and the the monday After Thanksgiving was the last time we heard from the US Attorney's office. And uh, that was it. And they've gone completely silent. And of course, my attorney, when I ask him, because I do every couple of months, go, Should we like, can we like ask what's going on? And he goes, Oh, no, 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 we're not saying a word. (laughs) It's uh, every day you wake up and uh, you haven't seen the red dots on your chest from the SWAT team. He says, It's a good day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to see if there's any updated news that you have and you can share with us about uh, what is supposedly an investigation. We have this spectacular January 6th select committee that's been up there (laughs) protecting the Americans. You know, they've got everybody.
2: They're protecting democracy, Dan.
1: Yes, democracy, and they're protecting their their own butts. They're covering their own butts. We'll get an update. Steve Baker in the studio with us today, back in a minute at TNN Live.
3: I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre productive truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do.
0: Copy.
3: It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic PSSV shocks. So it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck.
4: You want to go a little faster? Go for
3: it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on a one.
0: Nervous?
2: Yeah. Oh, Blaze brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in '97?
0: You're still the one I rode
2: to! Our first real heart to heart?
0: I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the one through it together!
2: Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze?
0: Do you have a barbecue or a chitter jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? <laughs> when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Seth. Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? Yeah. That's a yes. The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN,
1: truthnewsnet.org. We're not flying solo today. We have a partner in the studio with us, Steve Baker. He's a Shreveport, Louisiana native. He now resides in North Carolina, but you're still in the South. So yeah. it's,
2: okay. It's, it's okay. It's below the Mason Dixon line. You're, but, uh, you're eligible. Yeah. <laughs> if you
1: were north, you wouldn't be here in the studio. I'd keep you on the telephone. Their their barbecue is questionable in North Carolina. They think they have and that sauce that the they vinegar, do.
2: It's awful. Oh my gosh. The yeah.
1: first time I had it, I went to actually went to a big uh, what what is it? The Coca Cola 600 in uh, in Charlotte. And um, long story, but. We stayed at the Ritz Carlton and they, they did a special deal. We are doing the best barbecue on the planet and I'd never had it before. And they brought it out and it looks good on the plate. And I took my first bite and the vinegar just, you know, I was, my nose was running
2: well my my first experience with North Carolina barbecue was in a place called the barbecue Lodge and I was excited to be taken this was over thirty years ago and I was with a group of people and and so i'm I sit down at the table and there's probably about eight of us but there's uh, you know other people in the restaurant being served as we're being seated sure so I'm looking at their plates and I've, I've I'm staring at their plates for five or ten minutes and I remember turning around to one of the locals and I said, I thought you said this was a barbecue place and that, well, it is. And I said, but nobody's ordering barbecue because I couldn't, I didn't even recognize what was on the plate. It's different folks. It's
1: different. Anyway, all that being said, let's, let's switch gears here. Yeah. You told us last time you were on this show, you were embarking on an investigation in another area and you've been hard at it since then. And it's put, put you on the road. Uh, you've put some miles on your car, but you have some very interesting things that you want to share with us.
2: Well, I, I have been Dan for, uh, over 10 months now. Uh, no other way to say it except to just blurt it out. And this is, this is a first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right here. It's the first Do i need a drum roll? Drum roll. Well, you don't need a drum roll, <laughs> but, uh, I may need protection after we walk out of here, <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, one of my own readers of my blog had been reading my stuff for years is a not a high ranking official in the DOJ he's just a functionary in one of the um, capital cities offices out in a western state and because of his position he sees documents and emails from the actual US attorney in that district every day as part of his job and beginning years ago and uh, you know I'll say this as sensitively as possible but in in what's what he refers to as a cya move he started printing off certain documents and keeping them in his personal safe because of the sensitivity or the legal- potential illegality of the emails and documents that he was seeing coming back and forth between Washington and the U.S. Attorney in that district. Well, immediately after, uh, well, a year after January 6th, there was a, obviously a turnover in the administration in D.C. When the Biden administration came in, and Merrick Garland was then appointed as the new uh, Attorney General of the United States, There was an email that was sent out. I'm not sure yet because I still have not seen it, but I've had it read to me. But the email was sent from Garland to either that US attorney or to all of the US attorneys. And basically it said something to the effect of, I don't care what you think about either the morality or the legality of an individual's particular circumstance make the arrests wow this is related to january 6th and uh, and so this particular person is has been for quite some time now i've been working with this individual for 10 months now developing this individual as a potential whistleblower but any there's no other way to say it and finally have reached the level of comfort or he did rather reach the level of comfort to actually have a meeting with me face to face, which of course brings up, um, a jeopardy, uh, for him, not for me, but for him because, uh, just the contact with me as an investigative journalist could end his career in a rather, you know, uncomfortable way to say the least. Uh, but he's, he's emotionally and, um, uh, spiritually prepared for that, if necessary, he does not uh, want to lose his pension. He's two years away from retirement, uh, so he would like to make it through till the end, uh, and and, uh, and and as I you know, right off into the sunset quietly. But he knows that if he is uh, discovered in this ten month round of conversations that he's been having with me and the other things that he has shared with me during this process that, uh, he will in fact declare our file for whistleblower status and, and hopefully be protected by that. But you know, you never know.
1: You know, there's some irony in what, what you just gave to us. Um, one thing good that the federal government created that works effectively, very effectively in the process, typically anytime our federal government does anything a program, uh, a policy, hmm. anything like that, they're usually filled with holes and they don't work. Uh, their substance never equals what the plan was when it was all created. The one thing they've really done good and probably wish they hadn't was the government whistleblower program because once declared, it, it, it becomes very obvious course the person's identity is immediately revealed across every spectrum in the federal government the news media Mm -hmm. but there's significant protection that comes for them because it's so obvious and from that point forward pretty much everything is scrutinized
2: yeah unless your name is uh, Edward Snowden or Julian Assange then you have other issues to deal with but uh,
1: (laughs) I think they're a little deeper at a different level (laughs) than you and I are but yeah, there's there's some exceptions there.
2: Well, they were certainly more concerned about Snowden because he, when you say deeper, he knew everything. Everything, yeah, yeah, and 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 not wanting a guy with access to everything was certainly more significant than just a uh, an employee yeah. of the Department of Justice in yeah. a town out west. So,
1: what else can you tell us? In what particular area is this? whistleblower conversation what what is it what is it
2: about well for me um ultimately my my goal and we are continuing the process of working for this is to get my hands on that document and uh it has been printed off it does exist and uh i can talk about it but if i can't prove it then it is no is of no use to us on the other hand if it if it does exist and in his words, his own words are when he saw it the first time, because he he has access to all of the U S attorney's emails. When he saw it the first time, he said he was so disturbed by it. It was one of those keystrokes. He was willing to risk to print the document off because all their keystrokes are obviously monitored and reserved if they are ever investigated. Yeah. And so, it was important enough for him to keep a copy of that, but he said he was uh, absolutely devastated that more assistant U.S. attorneys did not resign over that one email because it was so inflammatory and so um, just, it was just hot. And it was the kind of thing that the, a good guy with a white hat would not want to be associated with. And the biggest disappointment he had in his career was that there wasn't a mass resignation of assistant USAs. What's the substance of what's in that? Uh, it's the, it's basically the line from Merrick Garland himself saying, I don't care what you think about the morality or the legality, because with, if we can produce that document, I can, as I said, I can talk about it, but yeah. if I can't, yeah. if I can't hold it in my hands, and then use the the evidence that it exists uh, to, um, uh, so that the the, the um, defense attorneys over these J6 guys being held in the gulag in D.C. Uh, can then subpoena that information and use it in court and hold it before a judge, but that 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 is a uh, my own attorney who is representing one of the oath keepers there. He's like, please, dear God, get me that. Letter. Well, said, sure. We, we can sure. blow the whole thing up with that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It is interesting to me. You, you want to have faith, especially in the Department of Justice. You want to believe that they're they're all when they raise their hands and put the other hand on the Bible and swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. You want to believe that at least what. 95%, 97% of them really believe that and have, since they took that oath, really done what the oath says and what they committed to do. And when we find out that there are so many people, we have no idea how deep it goes. We don't have any idea about how bad it is on the top two floors of uh, the J. Edgar Hoover building in D.C. Yeah. Every week, it seems like we find out more and more our government is pretty nasty, and I'm being kind when I say that, and that multiple levels have allowed the politicization of the Department of Justice, they've weaponized it against the American people at so many levels in so many areas. You and I both have friends high up that look down And they just like, you can't share the details of what you're talking about here. I get a phone call every once in a while. I'll get a text every once in a while saying, be careful. Yeah. You know, and I know what they're talking about and you do too.
2: I get, I get a message either privately or just on one of my social media accounts every single day going, Steve, be careful, be careful. And these are people that know things. They they work in circumstances. They've seen things. And that's exactly what they're saying. Be careful. And so people have asked me, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Are you scared? And and to be honest with you, Dan, I've I've reached a point in my life right now where I I I I, and I don't want to even insinuate myself into this the stratospheric, you know, honor of the founding fathers, but I, I would I would be willing to sign that document. you know. I would be willing to sign that Declaration of Independence knowing that that's treason almost. And I'm not saying I'm out there committing treason every day, but I've reached that point in uh, my own observations about what you were talking about earlier, about what's happening up on that first and top second floor of those buildings in, in D.C., that I feel like I, ha- I have to throw it out there. And, and I'm in a position I can, that's the, that's the other thing. I happen to be one of those people that is in a position in my life right now. My children are grown They're If the, if the world straightens up enough that they can, they can profit from their careers, they're going to be fine. Yeah. They're ready. They're prepared. They're trained. And, um, and I've been single for 16, 17 years now, and I can, uh, I can, Step out. I can take those risks.
1: Well, the irony is it's a shame that you even have to think
2: about that. No, it's right. You're exactly right. I shouldn't even have to, that shouldn't have to be a consideration of mine every day, but it is, it's a consideration. Every single night when I lay in, in bed at night is tomorrow morning at five o'clock when the red light, the dots are going to come through my bedroom window.
1: Before we went live, Steve and I shared a cup of coffee and a, a really good homemade cinnamon roll.
2: Ooh, yeah. Pretty good there. Better than Cinnabon.
1: I got you. We had a conversation and we're two investigative journalists. Um, we each have different kind of sets of contacts that we reach out to, but we've begun to compare notes pretty regularly. And collectively we have discovered, um, uh, there's a whole lot more going on than we even thought was going on in our federal government. And it's the people's government. This is still government of, by, and for the people. At least legally, it's that way. Whether it practically is that way, we're finding out every day it slips a little further down the slope towards, I don't know what any other way to say it, but towards totalitarianism yeah. in some shape or form. And the spooky thing is there are so many people that are okay with that the likes of CNN and MSNBC those people there they foam at the mouth every time anything that they think could possibly put Donald Trump behind bars Hmm. they picked him to be the straw man he is the evil guy he's Satan to them and how anybody in our business I mean I had a good friend, a really good friend that was the first anchor for CNN when it was established, Mm -hmm. he was doing radio and then doing TV in Monroe and he ends up going to Atlanta and CNN was a really good media outlet that gave bipartisan information on everything. There was no politicization. It was news. It was news, but I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden, CNN became just another rag out there. Yeah. And then, of course, NBC had to keep up with CNN. They formed MSNBC. And then you have the Washington Post, once a honest, upstanding news media outlet for politics, the New York Times, and they all just went off the end of the earth. We don't have any information source out there that you or I or any American should be comfortable with just taking what they print taking what they're saying and just believing it because they're nonpartisan they're just reporting the news it doesn't exist anymore
2: I am currently and have been for the last week working a whole another case we'll call it that has nothing to do with January 6th and the problem that we are having with our uh, confidential sources in this particular scenario, and we can talk about it a little bit if you want to later on or now, but the problem is exactly what you're stating is our sources have no trust in anybody from any news service. If it, if they call themselves a reporter or a journalist or whatever, it doesn't matter how independent I am. It doesn't matter that I don't answer to any editor or any newsroom anywhere in the world. Same here. The problem is they Don't trust us. Yeah. And because of that, it's been absolute, uh, you know, hell getting the right information out of them and getting them to be as forthcoming as possible in us investigating this particular story. Well,
1: it's a, it's a new world. It's a different world in which we find ourselves. Steve mentioned just a second ago, he's, he's in another investigation right now. And uh, I don't know how far he's in yet. He mentioned it to me. And I'm one of those guys. When Steve Baker tells me he's got something he's looking into and he's pretty sure there's meat on the bone and it's important stuff, I want to find out what it is. I don't know how far you can go, but when we come back from this, we're going to dive into whatever's out there on the Baker thermometer. In just a moment, we'll be
0: back. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network.
4: Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please?
0: I'm here for the most wanted.
4: Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that?
0: The gang known as the Western Whopper.
4: Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef
0: bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car
2: accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt. Which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think Road Safety. A message from the Government of South Australia.
1: seals and croft go i mean where were where are the great artists where words meant something
2: well unfortunately could, one of them just passed away you know a couple of months ago who uh i believe it was uh seals yeah oh my gosh yeah yeah
1: they were incredible mm-hmm. back in the 70s they had like four or five hits there's a bunch of those around yeah. that's a story for another day okay january 6th then this pending whistleblower. Those are the two big ones or the most recent ones that you're working with, but you've got another one.
2: Well, this was, this was an accident, uh, Dan and I, I was talking to yesterday, um, ostensibly the number one expert in America on human trafficking trauma. In fact, he has been the training, educating, uh, Liaison to over a hundred law enforcement agencies, state, local, and federal, including that all the way up to the FBI, all the way down to you know, the Houston Police Department. Okay. Human trafficking trauma. Explain what that is. Uh, understanding the mindset of why somebody will even allow themselves to be trafficked once they are. Let's just say here in the United States and they're working, let's say, they're, let's, let's start with the, the most common uh, practice or, or the common marketplace for human trafficking is actually illegal labor. It's hard to fathom, hard to imagine that here, however many, you know, decades or over 100 years since we've eliminated slavery in this country, it still exists. It's just not a legal uh, lawful activity. The sector, the
1: sectors that's, that's the biggest right. is the agricultural
2: sector. Yes, yes, that's the, that's the largest one. But these people stay in it for reasons that we don't understand. Why don't yeah. they blow the whistle themselves? As yeah. we were talking about before, yeah. it's because the people who have put them into that marketplace have learned how to brainwash them using trauma that they are so frightened and so afraid of the consequences that they know that they in literally living in a slave position is more beneficial to them than the alternative of coming out of it. It's hard for an American to understand that. No, it's very difficult. And I tell you what, Dan, I, I never, I never dreamed that I would be having these conversations in the last week with people that I have been talking to in this regard. But, but in fact, this, this particular expert uh, yesterday, I was asking him, well, well what I said is I'm, I told him I was going to be doing your show this morning. And I said, can I talk about this? Is this going to endanger me? Yeah. Because Dan, ultimately, we're talking about the cartel. Yeah. Our cartel. Sure. Um, and he said, yeah, you." he says, we, we can't. We can't hide this. We have to get out in front of it. We have to tell the truth. Uh, all, only shining a light on this is going to bring um, rescue, resolution, and safety to these individuals. And that's, that, that's got
1: to be a really hard hill to climb because, as you said, these people come here because they know it can be better for them, at least economically, here than where they're coming from in central america but principally mexico these particular ones yeah and they they have to weigh the cost and benefits
2: but they're in servitude for the rest of their lives yeah. because because the the representatives whether it's a gang member or from it's a cartel yeah, go ahead from, and say from, it yeah from MS13 but but the, the, the cartels have their representatives working the streets you know yeah. it's, it's it's the it's old it's old style mob
4: you know, sure, yeah. stuff
2: like that. So you, you got your you got your uh, uh, your enforcers out here and they're going around and knocking on the doors and they're knocking on your door once a week, once a month. And they're getting their pound of flesh uh, because they paid whatever whatever somebody paid to get here, whether it was from Nicaragua or uh, Mexico or whatever other country that they they paid the cartel money to bring them here and smuggle them in. They think it's over at that point, but it's not. No. Now they're paying them next month. Yeah. And then for the rest of their lives.
1: And if you don't pay me, you know, your mob that you left back in Nicaragua, they're going to kill them. or your little sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's the threat. Okay. Now the obvious question, how high up in the political administration, the current one does this go? Because obviously it's being allowed, not just allowed, but encouraged 2 million, Man. 2 million yeah. since Joe Biden took the oath of office, January the 20th, last year,
2: Dan, that's 2 million that we know about. No, That's been that in the words of the border authority that, that have been processed. Yeah. That doesn't count the other hundreds of thousands who have been able to get across the lines without being, or across the border without being processed. So it, it's a huge problem. Um, and I honestly never expected myself to be caught up in this, and it was by uh, it was an accident. Yeah, uh, you and I probably don't believe in accidents as much as some people do, but uh, it was a it was nothing more than a catch up lunch with a friend from you know forty years ago down in Houston a week and a half ago. I was on my way west on this other project that we discussed in the last half hour. And I just had a a brief lunch meeting with an old friend who began to tell me this story of what she has become involved in, in ministry, with a group of uh, ladies that were going down to minister to the homeless communities in downtown Houston. And one evening, late in the evening, while ministering to these homeless individuals, some children started coming out of the brush areas close to the, the... what they call the Buffalo Bayou down in in downtown Houston. And then more children started coming out and they were hungry and they were emaciated and they were all sexually abused boys and girls, average age eight to 16. Uh, they were, um, they were not Hispanic children. They were black children and they did not speak Spanish. Uh, they were apparently, uh, Haitians. And on a subsequent trip down, there was somebody who could interpret a little bit and they literally would go in and they would bait these children out of the brush areas. So they would bring huge bags of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, you know, like a hundred of them and and the, the children's meals. And then they would open the bags up Go get back in their van. This is a this is a, a ladies' ministry taking these risks, and this is in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas, one of the largest cities in the nation. Dan, this is downtown,
1: and I'm I was born in Houston.
2: This is four blocks
1: from the the baseball stadium. It's unthinkable that this kind of stuff would be happening anywhere in the United States, and it's not just
2: Houston; it's everywhere. But somehow. These unaccompanied, um, either Haitian or Brazilian, because they were using, you know, the the, the Haitians speak uh, you know, French Creole, yeah, yeah. uh, and then uh, obviously uh, the Brazilian speak Portuguese, Portuguese is there, and so they have a lady from Mozambique who speaks Portuguese. I, I never even knew that that's what they spoke in Mozambique, and so they were able to begin uh, somewhat of a conversation with these children on, on the first uh, the first time that my friend went down and she got a call at 10 thirty at night from the head of this women's group and was and said can you come down and assist us tonight we're ministering to some children she had no idea what to expect and she has no reason to make this story up to me. For one thing, she wasn't speaking to me as an investigative journalist. She was speaking to me as a friend from 40 years ago. Sure, yeah. She had no idea that even her telling me this was going to launch me into a direction I didn't even expect to have to go into. So what ended up happening is she went down there this particular evening. They set the the big bags of Chick-fil-A and then went back to their van Thirty minutes later, two, three kids start coming out of the the brush area. Then they come out in threes and fours. And over the next half hour, somewhere between 80 and 100 children unaccompanied come out of nowhere in downtown Houston. Dan, and the detail with which this was described to me can't be made up. She literally was holding these children in her hand, in her arms, wiping down their wounds. In subsequent visits, they brought antibiotics and vitamins and other types of medicines to these children. Um, They brought, uh, and again, I don't want to be too graphic, but you have to say this so that people can understand what I'm talking about. Bringing feminine hygiene products to these children for their rape wounds. They've all been raped. They've all been sodomized in the journey. They're being apparently brought in from South America because of the Haitian refugee problem related to the earthquakes and, uh, and, and huge refugee camps down in Chile and Brazil and Argentina and other places. And unfortunately, the cartels are going down there and offering these parents money for their children. And... Uh, <laughs> ostensibly for a better life in america and of yeah. course you and i know that that's not what happens so these children end up in in these encampments here and it just it it, it it's absurd on the face you can't even think that it can happen and of course now i'm i, I go into journalist mode and I'm, I'm just asking hundreds and hundreds of questions of this this friend and then eventually i'm reaching out to local authorities. I'm reaching out to other investigative reporters who have more experience in this than I've. And one, I, we even brought two others down last week to join me because I ended up staying in Houston for five days and going out every single night and and looking for the the proof and the evidence of this story. And then when you get to the, the, the very absurdity that this many unaccompanied children can exist without going... For, And seeking help, well, now you bring in, we circle back to the expert in human trafficking trauma. And he told me, absolutely, it is completely within, he said, not just the realm of possibility, this is how it works. These children are under threat. Not only have they seen and experienced intense trauma in the two months or so that it took them to get from South America, even to the border, what they've been through. And he goes on to even describe in much greater detail like for instance they'll they'll put like these kids or even adult uh traffic victims into the backs of trucks where there's three heads you know beheaded and it's not that they have to abuse that person now all they have to do is see three heads in the back of a truck and they know what that means the implication was very clear the message was sent In the the case of these children, they have been told that if they seek help and go to the authorities of any kind once they're in the United States that their parents will be murdered back home. So these kids don't talk. Eight,
1: nine, ten, sixteen years old. Mm -hmm. And that's the circumstances they find themselves in when their parents were told and obviously believe that selling these kids to the cartel members would give them ultimately a better life in the United States you and I were we were walking down the hallway to come in the studio I, I made a remark it's kind of appropriate here the love of money is the root of all evil yeah the Mexican cartels it's estimated they're making a billion dollars a month on illegal immigration top to bottom, human trafficking, sex trafficking, drugs, the whole nine yards, and they're making it off of people in the United States of America that are subverting the rule of law, ignoring the law, and it makes it pretty obvious that in the Department of Justice specifically, Homeland Security specifically, there's got to be so much graft and corruption that takes place or this would not be allowed. Why? Why? In the Biden administration, have we allowed 2 million that were processed illegally when they step across the border when anybody does and they don't have a formal invitation from the government to make it okay. They're all doing a criminal act and then everybody on this side of the border that suborns that process is violating another felony criminal law and nothing's done about it.
2: Dan, one word answer to that question because it was a statement but there's a question in that statement. And? Why is it being allowed? The answer is one word, chaos. Chaos has to be um, fostered in order for totalitarianism to be demanded by the people. That's it. It's, it's, it's as simple as reading history.
1: Are we talking about a governmental change in the process? We talking about losing or eliminating the rule of law? What are we talking about there? Well, let me ask you this. We tell you all the time, I get texts and comments from you all, occasionally a phone call. People wanna tell us what you think it is. And to be honest with you, Steve, when you look at the options out there for the explanations why, there aren't very many possibilities. And none of them are good. Um, We're both Christians. We grew up in the church. Shreveport, different churches, but um, we believe in God. And we believe that God loves every human being, no matter where they're from, no matter their particular circumstances, And the United States government, our forefathers, I don't care what anybody says. If you go beyond the public documents that we hear about and you do a little digging, you find out God was in everything that happened in the foundation of this nation. And uh, it started out that way. There were some rebels. There were some people that did some bad things. I don't care who you are. I don't care what the circumstances are. Slavery is an abomination to humanity of any kind. And to be honest with you, um, the slaves that were here, it was incorrigible for it to be allowed, but it was allowed. It was a a process that existed elsewhere before our forefathers came here. And I'm not trying to justify it at all. I'm just saying it was something that was done. And when it was identified, it took a long time but it was eliminated. I want to point something out here. We have a, we're close to half a million people listening right now. I have no idea who's listening, but there's somebody that needs to hear this. Somebody that's angry. Somebody that wants to get back at something that happened to either them personally or people that they love and know evil through a type of slavery in the United States of America, 300,000 white men died trying to eliminate slavery. Right. This is not a white black issue. It has never been that. It has been about controlling and owning in some sort of way fellow human beings and finding ways to profit from that. That is the abomination of slavery of any kind and every kind. And I got to be honest with yeah. you what we're talking about now, what you saw in Houston, in my mind, is the absolute worst I've ever seen or heard about for this situation. And it's happening in my home state, and the city in which I was born. It blows my mind because Houston's a very forward-thinking, or I thought a forward-thinking city. It sounds like there's an element there and I shouldn't be surprised based upon what I do and what you do. You shouldn't have been surprised, but I think we all, we all are shocked
2: that this is happening. Well, Dan, I have long been the, uh, the anti Alex Jones type. I reject conspiracy theories at, you know, when I hear them, my first, uh, reaction is to reject that. As we talked about before, you go further. Yeah. Let me
1: tell you what my position is on that.
2: I'm like you, I get all
1: kinds of input from people about hey, 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 looky here. Yeah. I got five or six this morning uh, before we went live on the show at nine o'clock. I look at those things when they come out and I, I start here. If there is even a thread of truth in that, it's at least worth me checking them out and it it, it, i think you are and i are in the same thing we have sources that we go to and usually it's pretty easy for us to find out should we look further or not to take it down but the general public typically don't have that or don't have the time or don't want to waste the time yeah go ahead
2: but what what ends up happening is when you do Uh, Spend a lot of time, as a lot of people do, in these alternative, we'll call them alternative uh, media sources the all you know the, And you're
1: being the, 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 kind to been, Alex Jones by yeah, saying that.
2: Yeah, right, right. And so what ends up happening is they get these incredible stories of thousands of children coming in on cargo ships and their their blood is being harvested for adrenochrome or whatever, you know, and it's being drank you know, they're, they're they're drinking the blood. So they're as they're sacrificing the kids and in their in that state of of fear and horror, uh the, the 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 blood is adrenalized and then the elites of the world you know the, the Hillary Clinton and George Bush both are sit around the table and drink yeah. the, the baby's yeah. blood okay this is this is the, the top level of that conspiracy and
1: what he just described folks is really out there
2: and is really believed
1: a lot of people believe it
2: yes and so that circumstance is the most absurd thing that you can think of and hear about And then we actually see from local news reports that the NBC affiliate in Brownsville, Texas or Corpus Christi or something about a truckload of a half dozen children or 12 coming in. And you go, okay, I can believe that it's happening on that scale. But ultimately, that's just one truckload of many truckloads. And many, and that's just the one that the border agents caught, Yeah, how many are getting through. And then when you get to Houston and you have from very reliable sources, the possibility that not just a dozen or so, but maybe even hundreds are living either in stash houses set up by the cartel or in the underbrush of a bayou. Until they are successfully marketed or taken to their end uh, buyer, whoever that is. And that's another question is who who are buying these kids and for what purpose. And so the fact that that's happening underneath, because I asked this question of the expert. And when I say the expert, this guy who trains law enforcement from the federal level all the way down to the local level i asked him how is it possible that i can know about this and the houston police department doesn't know about this and you and i discussed this also over the uh the wonderful cinnamon rolls (laughs) is that when when things don't make sense related to government it's very easy for us to automatically leap to uh, corruption and uh, collusion with the cartel uh, it's easy for us to go there but sometimes it's just the sheer incompetence of government because government doesn't really do very many things very well you know I can so you have to p- start there
1: I can picture somebody in the FBI field office in Houston that finds out about this and I can picture a conversation happening between whoever the level at the top of this office are about this very thing in a meeting Mm -hmm. conference meeting. Hey, we got this report. We checked it out. It's credible. Well, what would be involved if we launched an investigation and we assigned manpower to go do that? And they look at this and look at that and they've got 10 things over here and Bubba's over here. That's about to retire. We don't have time. We don't have the resources in this field office to, to get into that right now, we'll look into it next month if we can, you know, find the resources to possibly assign to that.
2: I can see that happening. It's it's worse than that, Dan. The The fact is, and this is exactly what I've learned in the last week, just in this. Now, we hear about it from other stories and other uh from all different types of things related to government and related to law enforcement, we know that they're quitting. I mean, how many have you lost? How many law enforcement officers have you lost here in the Shreveport Police Department? Tons. Yes, just in the last two years since yeah. the George Floyd riots. Yeah. Once you find out that that the the government you're working for and is writing your paycheck doesn't have your back. There's no sense in staying on that job. Absolutely. Especially a job that you're risking your life every time you you, you suit up and and uh, leave your home. So there's no sense in staying there. But that's happening at every level of law enforcement all the way up to the FBI. So their, their resources are already stretched all the way out there, as thin as they can possibly be. And then you bring them a story like this and and you're... You're losing people every day to resignations, retirements, and you're not able to replace the retirees because nobody wants that job anymore. They, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, bring me, bring me a picture, bring me a photo evidence, bring, give me something to go on. Because if, if I, because I know this crime is happening. Yeah. We've seen it. We've made the arrests. We've got the connections. But that thing, prove it. So sometimes the independents have to step in and bring the evidence and that's kind of where we're at right now is deciding whether to take this thing to phase two of an investigative you know report kind of thing and then uh putting together the resources to make that happen because we're not going to get the attention of law enforcement until we can lay it on their desk and show them the the high resolution images of it the horrible part of this
1: and it, well, I'm. I'm not. I shouldn't say the horrible part. One that comes to mind immediately, the horrible part, is the people on the other side of this equation. No. They're looking in and watching and seeing the ineptness yeah. of law enforcement, every level in the United States. They understand the fact that there's not enough of them. Yeah. So they have conversations and meetings too, and they say, Look, we can do this below the radar screen. And even if the FBI, FBI finds out about it, they don't have enough infrastructure to go after us. And if they do, they'll pick one or two of us off and we'll just wait a few months and then you know, go in another sector. Across. I mean, there are all yeah. kinds of things that they do. And when you're, you're bringing in an estimated billion dollars in cash, untaxed, every month, you can do a whole lot of damage with a billion dollars.
2: And when you're a cartel leader... You're essentially the CEO of a gigantic business enterprise. You're just as talented. You're just as gifted as the CEO of a, you know, legally operating multinational corporation. The difference is, is you've got a lot more latitude as the head of the cartel, because A, you don't care about the law. B, you don't care who you sacrifice in the process. You can literally lose lives in your your employee chain And what is it because you don't value life and you can
1: replace them that (laughs) quickly, just that quickly, we're going to go to our final break. When we come back, we're going to wrap this part of the the show up and we're going to get into something that we are considering putting together here that involves Steve Baker and Dan. We'll talk about that in a
2: minute. It's time for a new year, a new you and a new
3: Volkswagen. Stop by D-Patrick today and check out our entire lineup. Like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not so compact, compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Poseidon. At D-Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D-Patrick on Green River Road.
0: Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum.
3: Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the bobblehead capital of the world.
0: At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream.
3: If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads.
0: Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at amfam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6,000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, (laughs) 5 I
3: love going all natural, it just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef
0: introducing the all natural burger the first ever in fast food with no antibiotics no added hormones and no steroids only at carl's jr taking the time to speak the truth no matter the cost dan newman tnn the truth news network
1: joining us today good friend investigative reporter steve baker who's been uh, on the road for investigative purposes, and I'm glad he came back through Shreveport, his hometown, and he spent this time with us today. Steve, let's tell him what we're, we've are we been contemplating for some time.
2: Yeah, uh, well, this was your idea, and, and I appreciate the idea. It, it seems like uh, something that um, I, I definitely want to do and hope it can be a long-term proposition, but we're talking about, I guess, you and I getting on the air together 15 minutes or so, at least once a week. Talking
1: about Tuesday would be a good day for it because, you know, Monday is a real busy day. You got to wrap up from the weekend and all that. And people listening, yeah, Monday's not a real good day for this, but we're thinking about doing a quarter of an hour block every Tuesday, naming the show, and we're going to need your help to name the show, you being our audience. And uh, what it's going to be is Steve is out on the road. I'm not on the road, so I hear and investigate things, and Steve does too, and they're different. Putting those together, the most important ones, and doing a 15-minute segment on Tuesday for everybody to listen in on. And the good thing about it, we were just talking about this during the break. We do the show live, two hours every day. Yeah, It's really tough for a lot of people to listen to a show in the middle of the morning if they're working especially, two solid hours, so they miss it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The fact that this show goes immediately after it, uh, it airs live, it goes to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and, and I'm leaving out a couple, wherever you get your podcast. So if you listen to it live, we want you to be listening live, and uh, eventually we'll work where we can take phone calls when we're doing this, this segment live. But if you miss it, you'll be able to always go back and get it. So that's a good 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 positive about uh not just doing the live show, turning it into a podcast. So we'll kick that off from here over this next week. We'll start promoting that and uh, we'll talk later in the week, you and I and we'll we'll pick a time. We'll talk about the suggestions for the
2: show names. Yeah,
1: it's just kind of fun. It sounds kind of fun to do.
2: I think it'll be great to have uh, your listeners. Give us those ideas. You know, you asked me—I guess it was a week or so ago—to kind of think up a name of this. Well, Dan, my brain is so overtaxed right now with the other things that I, you know, that, that yeah. even even trying to be creative right now is is rather difficult. So I, I wasn't even able to come up with—I uh, couldn't even come up with an idea to submit to you. So I think your your uh, your your audience should do that for us,
1: and we'll let we'll let them do it. Yeah. We may even turn it into a contest, I don't know
2: but we'll we'll
1: speak more about that as the week goes on. Listen. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you for being here regularly. Thank you Dan. And uh, you're a voice that um, a lot of people trust. Uh, you're very straightforward and you're very honest and uh, you're it's unusual to have a journalist at your level that's not always looking for an angle. just going right to the heart of facts, finding the facts and being honest with people that you present. You've got a great show that you do your, your uh, website. I mean, you are really a deep diver investigative journalist. And I want to thank you for doing that. Sometimes it's not fun and it's always a a lot of work. Uh, You have an ability to go deeper than I do. And uh, thanks for sharing that.
2: Content that you get. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you having me here and, and giving uh, me an opportunity to tell these stories to your audience. Steve Baker, how did they find your website? The best place to go right now is uh, our locals community, which is thepragmaticconstitutionalist.locals.com. Or if you're on your phone app, that's the easiest way. Download the locals app and it's at TPC. Four USA at TPC. The number four USA. So you can reach it by the web, reach it by your phone, your devices, that sort of thing, and that's where that's the first place. Now, obviously, we're on social media sites as yeah, well, so yeah. you can find everything on Facebook and Twitter and links from MeWe to Parler to Gab and all of those other places. Well. Thanks for being here. You're on the road. You going back to North Carolina? Uh I am actually headed to Florida. Believe it or not. I am actually going to DJ my nephew's uh, wedding on Saturday down in Pensacola area. Well that will be a hoot. Yeah. So I'll get a break. Spend a few hours on the beach. <laughs> well, if we can find time for that. Maybe an adult beverage. Yeah, and then I'm head and then I'm headed back to North Carolina. All right, buddy. If we don't talk to you
1: before, we'll talk in the middle of next week and come up with something for this show.
2: Fantastic. Steve
1: Baker joining us. We will leave and be back in just a moment. Meanwhile, how about a little 25 or 6 to 4? Remember that song? Chicago. Enjoy this. We'll see you on the other side. groups ever. That's kind of the 80s remake. That's Chicago 25 or 64. Hey, listen, wasn't it good to have Steve Baker with us? Um, He is an amazing guy, an information uh, machine, and uh, he shares a lot of the same values as do I, and as do many of you, or all of you. We're all in this together, and we're all truth seekers, and uh, he is in a position where he has the ability to go, um, I guess, goes harder <laughs> than I go here, and that's by purpose, but it's good to have the um, the ability to tap into those things, especially those really big things that he comes up with. But guess what? There's a lot more going on out there and a lot that we need to talk about. What about this Mar-a-Lago Thing, President Biden's White House, we find out, even though they told us over and over and over again, we didn't know anything about it. Oh, the Department of Justice, the FBI, they handled that solo. Well, we find out the White House was intimately involved in the DOJ's criminal probe into Donald Trump because documents that have been unearthed show that. Several correspondences between Trump's attorneys and different members of the Biden administration show that the federal government was poised to waive Trump's claims of executive privilege over documents that he kept at Mar-a-Lago until earlier this year. This was reported yesterday on Just the News, and this is a quote. The memo show then-White House Deputy Counsel Jonathan Su, S.U., was engaged in conversations with the FBI, Department of Justice, and National Archives as early as April, shortly after, 15 boxes of classified and other materials were voluntarily returned to the Federal Historical Agency from Trump's Florida home. By May, now this is this year, by May, Sue conveyed to the archives that President Biden would not object to waiving his predecessor's claims to executive privilege, a decision that opened the door for the DOJ to get a grand jury to issue a subpoena compelling Trump to turn over any remaining materials he possessed from his presidency. And then a May 10th letter from acting National Archivist Deborah Steidel to Trump's legal team confirmed the White House's involvement in the DOJ probe against Trump. On April 11th, the White House Counsel's Office, affirming a request from the DOJ supported by an FBI letterhead memo, formally transmitted a request that NARA, this is the National Archives, provide the FBI access to the 15 boxes for its review within seven days, with the possibility that the FBI might request copies of specific documents following its review of what was in those boxes. These documents were reviewed by the way, by just the news. They are the strongest pieces of evidence showing the Biden White House's involvement in the DOJ probe. Although the White House previously claimed to have no advanced knowledge of the recent FBI raid. Does anybody really believe that the White House didn't know about this? That was a a Donald Trump post on Truth Social. However, we need to note this. Just the News does not report that the White House had specific knowledge of the search warrant or of the raid before they happened, but that their participation through waiving executive privilege was the crucial piece that even allowed this investigation to begin. In affirming its decisions not to honor Trump's claims of executive privilege, Wall, this female uh, attorney, relied on a Supreme Court precedent that strongly suggests that a former president may not successfully assert executive privilege against the very executive branch in whose name the privilege is invoked but this case was ruled before Congress's current Presidential Records Act was enacted. Wall's letter to Trump's attorneys claimed the former president had items marked as classified national security information in the set of 15 boxes Trump's team returned to the National Archives back in February. After the archives reviewed those, they told the DOJ about the potentially classified material, which prompted them to the DOJ to ask Biden to request the National Archives turn over access of the documents to the FBI. The Biden administration, the White House, had to make a formal request, which they did, and they knew it was going on, and they lied about it. Why doesn't that surprise me? (laughs) It probably doesn't surprise you steve baker we talked about it it's almost like automatically anytime somebody in the government in the executive branch or even in congress when they say something is a fact you need to automatically dismiss the veracity of what they told you it was and that's a shame that's a horrible situation to be in so donald trump the former president he's not sitting still and waiting for something to happen he filed a motion yesterday And he's asking, he's actually demanding an independent review of those documents that were taken from Mar-a-Lago a a few weeks ago. Law enforcement is supposed to be a shield that protects Americans. Law enforcement cannot be used as a weapon for political purposes. That's what they're claiming. But come on now. Who in the world believes that, that they're not using all kinds of things as weapons? In the Department of Justice for political purposes. Trump said in a motion, therefore, we seek judicial assistance in the aftermath of an unprecedented and unnecessary raid on President Trump's home at Mar a Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. Trump's motion for judicial oversight and additional relief, it requests something that I think is brilliant that the court appoint what's called a special master a totally independent, not Democrat, not Republican, nonpartisan special master that would prohibit the FBI from further review of those documents seized until the special master is appointed, ordered the government to release a more detailed property receipt and return any item seized that was not within the search warrant scope. By the way, There should be no need for this to even be requested because that is supposed to happen in every case. They did not catalog everything they took. They didn't organize it or structure it. They didn't give the details of what they took. Therefore, there was no way to try to match what they took to what the warrant gave them authorization to take. Now think about it. What I'm about to say is not a conspiracy theory. Does anybody believe, anybody out there, do you believe or do you trust that whatever the FBI, the Department of Justice come up with as a catalog or a list of what they took, does anybody believe it's going to be accurate and be totally truthful? Does anybody believe that they are above Inserting things or manipulating things that either were in there or weren't in there and just create something and put it in. This is the Biden administration. <laughs> this is Merrick Garland's Department of Justice. Look at the crap they've done to Americans across this nation. You don't think for a second they would give Donald Trump a pass from this illegal activity there so rampant to perpetrate. The property receipt that was released shortly after the raid on Mar-a-Lago, it only mentions nondescript items including what they title as miscellaneous top-secret documents, leather-bound box of documents, and various classified slash T-A-T-S, which means top-secret, or S-C-I documents. Trump's motion comes just days after amounts, he announced that he would file a Fourth Amendment motion concerning the illegal break-in. That motion says, My rights, together with the rights of all Americans, have been violated at a level rarely seen before in our country. So in a statement after Trump's attorneys filed, Trump noted the FBI wanted Mar-a-Lago staff to turn off the estate's security cameras during the raid. Trump also noted the FBI took his passports and broke into his personal safe with a safe cracker. Trump also laid to rest claims that the FBI seized any classified documents. We're now demanding that the DOJ be instructed to immediately stop the review of documents illegally seized from my home. All documents have been previously declassified. Now, let me ask you this. Obviously, this this whole thing was very uh, politicized. And with the midterm elections coming up, you know they needed something big that their candidates around the nation, Democrat candidates running for offices, something that they could hang their hat on. Because everybody, whether it's true or not, everybody believes Trump is going to run for president again in 2024. They need to find a way to charge Donald Trump and convict Donald Trump of some felony which they say would then keep him from ever serving in public office in any capacity ever again. And to be quite honest with you, the Constitution negates that. The Constitution overrules any kind of law that's ever been made. There is nothing in the Constitution that would disqualify Donald Trump as a felon or any other felon from running for president. That's called power of the people. The constitution made it very clear. Any election of federal officers has got to be fair and be done nationwide by the people, not by bureaucrats, not by a court decree, but by the people. And this is going to turn into something even bigger, I think, than you and I thought it is or thought it would turn into. Jesse Waters last night had Trump attorney Alina Habda on his show, and she shared the filing, the update on these filings. President
3: Trump's attorney Alina Habba is here now with an update. All right, so tell us a little bit more about this filing that just dropped.
4: Sure. Uh, I think it's to be expected that we obviously have questions about the Department of Justice having their own filtering system to go through taint, as they call it. Uh, I don't know. Would you want the Department of Justice going through your boxes (laughs) when they're investigating you? So, what this calls for is what needs to be done. We need an impartial, that means not Republican, not Democrat, impartial special master to go in there, take a look at what they seized, give back to so the former president what is rightfully his things that are clearly declassified things that are also uh, privilege attorney client privilege from when he privilege attorney client things he should never have been seized the passports <laughs> seized found that out after the fact the problem is we have this incredibly broad warrant that should never have been in place in the first uh, in the first place we have um, the magistrate judge who we know is affiliated with Epstein he went and signed this document, didn't care how broad it was, and now we have a problem. We've got documents where you have no identification, no idea what they have, and the former president didn't have a passport for a while. I've never heard of this in my life.
3: Yeah, you can't have crooked cops rifling through evidence, planning evidence. I mean, they have a history of planning evidence and doctoring evidence. You just can't trust them. You have to get this stuff out of their hands. But the filing also added some new details we didn't know when, when the president went down there, when this biased Department of Justice official was, was down there in the basement. What, what did he yeah. say? He said, like, you guys don't even really need to show me this stuff.
4: No, he, he honestly, he was so cooperative. He said, whatever you want to do, go in there. He walked in, said, hello. Here, show them this. They said, oh, thank you. You didn't need to show it to us, but we appreciate it. Hey, put an extra padlock on it. They were it.
3: sandbagging him.
4: Sandbagging him. They were basically saying, we're going to set it up, in my opinion. They were going to set it up to look like he was hiding it, not thinking that the, pre- the former president or his legal team would actually say, hey, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? We let you in. We let you in in February. We let you in in January. You told us we were good, and then you didn't communicate with us for months, and then you send in two dozen FBI agents? And
3: he's trying to back-channel, we're hearing, with, The attorney general trying to lower the temperature and say, hey, guys, whatever you need, this is for my library. Who cares who has it? The archives, the Mar-a-Lago people. It doesn't matter. Yeah,
4: Jesse, that's a really good point, and I have to hone that in. The, The former president, Donald Trump, is the biggest support of police. FBI, DOJ, whoever it is that is working for this government, he loves this country. So the fact that people are trying to now say, oh, his lawyers and the right-wing media and everyone are trying to somehow incite some, you know, their January 6th thing us. Yeah. I'm not going to have it because yeah. he wasn't. He's supportive of it. In fact, he would not release the identities or the pictures of the FBI agents that would be on property. He would never do that. He wouldn't release the tapes. He of would the only under seal and to protect the FBI agents, because that's not his interest. His interest is to protect the agents, to protect the police, as we know. Right. But they'll paint us differently.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Alina.
4: Thanks, Jeff.
1: I don't remember a president that was as totally committed to law enforcement as is Donald Trump. I, I, I just don't understand why um, people think he is so lawless. When he came to be the president of the United States, one of the things that um, it surprised everybody, he was portrayed from the very beginning as being this tycoon from Queens, New York, which he, not from Queens anyway, but that he was arrogant, he was boisterous, he had this reality show, and that he would never be qualified to serve in any office in the government, let alone the presidency and he would do anything and everything he could to enhance enhance himself financially, his reputation. He was all about being able to say something big and good about himself. Nobody could believe that this guy is all in, totally into the Constitution, totally into the rule of law, totally into the American people controlling the government, totally into government of the people, by the people, and for the people, and he never strayed from that. He was the antithesis to what the establishment in Washington, D.C. was. And I'm not just talking about Democrats. I'm talking about the entire political process across party lines. It was the swamp, and he termed it the swamp in his campaign in 2016. They could not stand it. This guy could not come in here and turn the political world upside down. They were committed. They weren't going to let it happen. They did everything they could think of to stop him from being elected. And when he was elected, they did everything they could keep up, uh, think of to get him out of office. It's amazing what truth can do when it's put out among all of the people in a vacuum not cluttered with opinion, but the facts speak for themselves. And the bureaucratic industry in Washington, D.C. could not and will not allow that to happen. They're desperate to keep him from running for office again. They know if he does run, he will win. And I will echo that. If Donald Trump runs in 24, he will win. And don't think for a second he's not going to be going back and dealing with all of the evil that he has seen, not just since he left office, but over the four years that he served as president before. And the people's voice will speak, and it will accomplish the objectives that are necessary, not the ones that Donald Trump thinks should be, but the one, all of those that Donald Trump sees that he knows should happen based upon the rule of law and the U.S. Constitution. He's the first president in my lifetime that just hasn't politicized everything, hasn't gone in to seek wealth and fortune for himself. In fact, his net worth dropped dramatically while he was in the Oval Office for his four years. Why did it do it? He wasn't working in his company anymore. He had very reputable and eligible and qualified people that took his spot. But when you build a company around a guy that has that kind of reputation, that kind of knowledge, that kind of accomplishment, you can't just turn a page and put somebody else in there and expect the same old results. It's going to be interesting to see how his financial situation will, of course, be included if he runs again in all of the records that he files to be able to be eligible to run and serve one more time. His financial disclosures will be made available to all of us. It's going to be interesting to see how his net worth has changed from 2016 to when he left office, and then from then till 2025 when he would be inaugurated again as president number 47, 45th president, 47th president. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Man, today has been a short day. We're not done yet. Uh, But I'm trying to come up with the, the stories that have broken the latest that are the most important. When we're looking at this midterm election, Republicans, I think, could easily retake the Senate majority if they focused on a four-tiered strategy to lock in vulnerable GOP-held seats and flip some vulnerable Democrat-held seats without getting distracted by the establishment media or Democrats. Just focus. Much of the media and the elites in the political world have spent the last week or two in something of a hullabaloo over whether or not the red wave in November is cancelled now due to some Democrat wins in the dog days of summer and supposedly weaker than expected Republican nominees in battleground states. But the fact of the matter is nothing has really changed from earlier this year before primary voters picked their candidates. A 50-50 Senate with a map where the GOP is playing lots of defense with a handful of pickup opportunities probably puts the chances of a Republican takeover of the chamber at about a coin toss, or maybe a little bit better than that. In other words, all Republicans need to get the gavels back in the Senate is flip a net one seat, just one seat. So breaking down the map strategically, the pathway is pretty simple for Republicans, and we'll really focus on just five states. You know who they are, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. But to get there, to that main event on November 8th, Republicans first need to look at the bigger picture nationwide and then zoom in from there. There are technically 34 Senate seats out of 100 that are up in November. 35, if one counts Oklahoma's special election for the seat retiring Senator James Imhoff, is vacating, but really only about a dozen of them are potentially competitive. As long as Republicans hold all the red state seats with no surprises, like both of Oklahoma seats, Alabama seat, North Dakota seat, Indiana seat, and so on, they're going to be in a prime position to have a shot at the majority. The first tier of seats to look at in this four tier strategy includes those red states plus traditionally battleground states. Republicans absolutely need to hold to win the majority like North Carolina, Ohio, Missouri, Florida, and Iowa. Polling in Ohio and Iowa suggests the GOP is likely to fare pretty well. in both of those places, Missouri seems to be a lock for the GOP after Attorney General Eric Schmidt won the GOP nomination. North Carolina is tight but Representative Ted Budd is a strong general election candidate and Republicans have won the state in almost every single statewide national election dating back for 10 years. Florida, meanwhile, has been trending more and more red and with Governor DeSantis holding down the top of the ticket, it's very likely that Senator Marco Rubio pulls this one off against Representative Val Demings even if a couple of recent polls suggest a closer than expected race. And let me just tell you this, I don't weigh in on this kind of stuff very often, but Val Dimmings, who is running against Marco Rubio is one of the vilest people in politics I've ever seen. She's just downright nasty. So if Republicans haul all of those, if they, if they grab them and nobody gets a, uh, a shock and loses one of those seats. Then the focus shifts to the second tier of races. Seats the GOP are defending, but are much tougher to hold. The two states are only two in this tier, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is a two-term incumbent. He's seeking a third after a decade-plus of legislative successes. His Democrat opponent is Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, a devout socialist whom Republicans have barely started exposing. While some polls show Johnson trailing just slightly, expect this race to change a lot between now and election day. It's also worth noting how badly every pollster got Wisconsin in 2020. There's no reason to believe the pollsters have changed their ways. So it's likely Johnson is going to significantly overperform there, just as Donald Trump did. Pennsylvania. Now, this is a tough one for Republicans. After that grueling primary, Dr. Oz emerged victorious from a recount that dragged the fight on for weeks after he defeated businessman David McCormick this spring. Dr. Oz has been slow in getting off the starting block against Democrat nominee Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Some public polls have suggested Fetterman might be leading by close to 20 points. But other polls just released from Trafalgar suggest a much tighter race. And as Republicans focus on Fetterman's radical views on crime in particular, the race pretends to tighten significantly. Even Jake Tapper, CNN, a Pennsylvania native, admitted that this weekend. If you haven't seen This Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman hadn't read anything about him. I'm not going to tell you all about him right now for for the purpose of time. I'll give you a homework assignment. Go Google Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman in Pennsylvania and find the one site that is fairly objective, listing you and even showing you some video and pictures. This guy, I don't know any other way to put it. He is a nut job. I mean, he looks like a nut job. This is a guy that just recently moved out of his mother's house, and he got an allowance until just about 10 years ago from mama. That should tell you a little bit. Tier three, this is where it gets really interesting. This is where Republicans have some opportunities to flip some seats from Democrat control back into GOP hands. The three best pickup opportunities for the Republicans in November are Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. In Nevada, some polling has shown GOP nominee Adam Laxalt leading incumbent Democrat Senator Kathy Cortez Masto. Other polls have shown Masto in the lead. In Arizona, the GOP's Blake Masters just emerged from the primary, and the first poll shows him down against Senator Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, who's a Democrat in Arizona, but Republicans expect to unify and put heat on Kelly soon. So expect that race to tighten. And in Georgia, this is one everybody knows about the GOP nominee, Herschel Walker, former NFL running back. He was an amazing football player and he's an amazing Georgian. He was a Heisman trophy winner and he retired from the NFL headed for the hall of fame. He's running neck and neck with incumbent Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock. Warnock pastors the biggest Baptist church in Georgia, and he is a lightning rod. He won in a very closely contested race a couple of years ago. Warnock has loads of personal baggage. So does Walker, for that matter. So that race is sure to be a festival of mudslinging between the two as we head towards November. The takeaway from all of this is simple though. If the Republicans can hold tier one, then they have a clear path to the Senate majority through tier three, depending on what happens in tier two. You got all that (laughs) in a scenario where the GOP holds all of tier one and both of the second tier seats, Republicans need only one seat from tier three to take the majority. In a scenario where the GOP holds all of Tier 1, loses one out of Tier 2, the GOP just needs two out of three from Tier 3. And in a scenario where the GOP holds all of the ones but loses both of Tier 2, then the GOP can still get the majority if they win all three of the Tier 3 seats. So herein lies the best part for Republicans. Listen to this they can get the majority by hitting one of these scenarios with tiers one through three without even talking about tier four races, which are all GOP-picked opportunities, albeit potentially harder races for Republicans. These four races include New Hampshire, the likeliest in this tier to change hands, but also places like Colorado and Illinois, All three of those states have elected GOP Senators in recent history. But in addition to those, Republicans are also bullish on the possibilities in Washington State, where GOP nominee Tiffany Smiley is polling very close with underperforming Senator Patty Murray and possibly two in Connecticut, where longtime Senator Richard Blumenthal faces Trump-backed GOP nominee Leora Levi. This is a lot to remember, isn't it? Again, while some in the establishment media may declare this election over 70-something days before it happens, it's far from over and might even be a GOP advantage depending on how some of these contests develop post-Labor Day. Do you realize how close we are to this? August 23rd. Let me look at a... uh, Let me pull up a... A calendar that shows by the month. Okay, we're to August twenty-third. I'm looking to election day. How far away are we? Let's see. Let me count the weeks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We're twelve weeks away from the election. 12 weeks. That's pretty close to 90 days, isn't it? You and I both know in 12 weeks, a lot can happen in politics. A lot of good or a lot of bad. We're just going to have to watch it and see what happens. I I will tell you this, it's a dogfight and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And um, I think we're just going to have to watch it closely. Pay attention to this. If you're a conservative, what you need to do is talk up your conservative ideals to the people in your circle of influence. And when you get a chance to say something, say something, say something. There are a lot of people that if they choose to listen to one or two media sources and they happen to be from the uh, legacy media, they call themselves legacy media outlets, pretty much their mainstream media if that's their choice where they get their their news from, they're in another world when it comes to thinking through this. Don't trust that. Speak up. Let them know what you think. And give them the grounds for which you think it. We've got to get an administration in power in Washington that thinks reasonably. I mean, I'm not talking about some of the... uh, I'm not talking about some of the bread and butter things out there that everybody knows we need. We need to tackle inflation. We need to tackle the price of everything. We need to tackle everything that has, in just two years, not even two years, has basically kneecapped our entire military. I'm talking about Joe Biden. I'm talking about mandatory vaccinations. Our military numbers are as low as they've been since I can remember. And it's weakening us on the world stage. We don't need to be looked at that way. We don't need to be that way. And we've got to start filling in the cracks in all these things that have become loose under this president. And if we can get the Congress, we can make big gains on that and then keep our fingers crossed for 2024. So I'm talking about these policies in this administration. You know who Secretary of Energy Jennifer Graham Holm is, former Michigan governor. She is all in. She is a climate change zealot. She suggested that the forced transition to green energy could bring about world peace. Now think about that. Where does a person who believes in a a process or a, a thing and without any real scientific proof just automatically spends their life declaring that it's factual, that it's real, and if we don't believe it, if we don't believe the way she and others in her same path believe, then we're evil. And I'm talking about green or renewable energy. On Friday last week, doing an interview with VOA News, Jennifer Graham used Russia's invasion of Ukraine to make her case for the abandonment of cheap, abundant, and historically reliable fossil fuels. We need to ditch that in favor of the utopian future of expensive, um, scarce, and unreliable clean energy sources. She's using the war in Ukraine to justify that using the ongoing bloody fighting in a land that has become a bottomless money pit to be filled by American taxpayers, tens of billions of dollars we spent over there, which as an aside here makes you think, you know, we know about the graft and corruption that Ukraine has been known about and for, for many, many years. How much of that relief money that goes over there is being sucked away by uh, people other than the military taking care of their needs? Just throwing that in there. Granholm spoke in sweeping terms that green energy would bring light to the planet, along with peace and harmony. Here's a quote from the Secretary. Honestly, this invasion by Russia is such an example of why countries need to move away from the volatility of fuels from countries we do not have our interest. And from the volatility of fossil fuels, she said, if we want to be energy secure and energy independent, that means we've got to produce our own energy. Now, wait a minute. We were doing that before you went into office on January 20th, October. Of 2019, in October of that year, it was declared, it was released to the American people. We are energy totally independent. We don't need to rely on any other country. We're making our own energy in the United States sufficient to take care of all of our needs. Perhaps a move to clean energy will be the greatest peace plan the world has ever known, she said. That, in my definition, is poppycock. There's no way it can be believed. It just can't be. I don't believe it. Do you? (laughs) Why would you believe it? You know what their end result that they're hoping for. Their panacea, their money at the end of the rainbow, is at the end of this century. Using all of the policies, all of the tax and spending, all of the loss of jobs for Americans and the millions of people, destroying the fossil fuel industry totally from top to bottom, which we need to survive. And they know that, they're finding out, and they're admitting that. We were producing enough of that before Biden took the oath of office to support ourselves totally with no reliance on any other country. And they're ditching it all. They think that's the answer. I, I just don't get that. But I guess it's an opinion, and that's all it is. I promise you that's all it is. Don't want to get away without talking about Dr. Fauci, Anthony Fauci. He announced that he was going to retire at the end of this year. He was going to hang it up. He's been working for 50 years. There are a lot of people that think he thinks if he gets out of the federal office in which he serves as the head of the NAIAD, that that's going to take him out of the, uh, the line of fire for if the Republicans get even just one house of Congress get it back, that he's going to be bulletproof. They can't go after him. Well, he needs to understand subpoenas subpoenas can reach into the private sector as well. And Dr. Fauci, you need to be prepared for that because you're looking for that or you should be looking for that because it's coming for you hide if you can but just know this the american people are demanding that we find out exactly what was going on during the COVID 19 pandemic and what shouldn't have been happening hey that's a wrap for the show today thank you steve baker for being here with us we love having you on we'll be back tomorrow morning 9 a.m central time Make sure you join us. Till then, you have a great Wednesday. So long, everybody.